You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Amen. 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 What a good time worshiping with you this morning and worshiping the Lord through song and now through the word. And I am excited because our God is a great and awesome and wonderful God. And we worship him not because we feel like it or because our week has been great, but because he deserves all the glory, every bit of glory, more than we can give. And we will give him all the glory that we can, but not all that we should because we are sinners. We are sinners, and I can smile about it because we've been saved by grace. And it's by the grace of God in sending us Jesus to take our place on the cross for the wrath that we deserve, that he swallowed up all of our wrath so that we could be declared righteous in the eyes of God. Not because we are righteous yet, still sinners, but we've been declared righteous because of the perfect work of Jesus, who lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve and rose in victory over Satan's sin, death, and hell so that we could be united with him and his family forever. That's why we call this a faith family, and we're so glad to be together today. Amen? I am glad to be with you. I'm glad to be back with you. It felt like too, too long since I've been back here with you to worship, and it was enjoyable so far this morning. Let's continue on in that joy as we look in the Word together. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, if you haven't figured it out, we're walking through Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to continue on, and you could have this under the same title of, uh, if you wanted to, you could call it Family Matters still, but it's really not for us. It was back for the folks that Paul was writing to in Ephesus at the time. Uh, We're switching years a little bit for us, but it was still a part of the family group, a family code that he's talking about here. And so as you see, we've switched gears for us. We're calling it the gospel at work. But ultimately, this is a part of how we act as the family of God. And 2,000 years ago, as we're about to see, the language used, the things going on, is a lot different than what we try to understand through our lens of culture and history. I'll try to help us with that a little bit this morning. But if you go back 2,000 years ago, the folks that were looking at how the gospel applied to them in their homes is looked at husband and wife and parents and children that have also looked at masters and slaves. And slavery was a lot different than what we remember it in our brief history as a nation, but it is still slavery. And so I want to talk about that in a second. Let's read the scripture together to see what it says. And then I want to unpack some of the historical context for us that will help us to understand why the Bible talks about things in certain ways. And then we're going to unpack it today for us in the context of how we live out the gospel in our work environments. Let us look at the word together. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm actually going to go back and read verse, chapter 5, verse 21 first, just so you see that. Because this verse applies to everything below it in this context of the family groups that Paul is referring to. Chapter 5, 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's an in-between verse. It latches everything before it with everything that follows. It says, again, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now jump down to chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, 
as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let us pray. Father, we are weak, broken. We're messed up in our thinking. We're messed up in our behavior. We are messed up in our motives. But you have the power to heal and restore and redeem. So we ask this morning that you would lead us into the continuation of the redemption that first began the the day that we met Jesus the first time and repented and believed in him. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that has yet to believe in Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for their souls. That anybody that might be listening in would hear this truth of the good news of Jesus and that your spirit would convict and bring to salvation and that you would continue to move us all along the path of becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we need you now, every day, always. Would you lead us, open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to understand and to be obedient according to your word this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me back up into this context a little bit here. Look at it one more time, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, one of the big things that people talk about when they look at passages like this in Scripture, uh, especially if they're not of the faith, is they point out that here is a moment that shows that the Bible condones slavery. That is not true. That's not what's happening here. To understand this in its proper context, we have to take a second, but I'll assure you that there's no place in Scripture that condones slavery other than saying that we have been purchased out of our sin by the precious blood of Jesus, and we are now his servants, his bondservants, bound to him by his work on the cross, freed from our enslavement to sin, and now enslaved to righteousness, as Romans 6 talks about. But apart from that, there's no other condoning of slavery. So why doesn't Paul here address slavery and try to knock it down? There's a couple of things people talk about when you go and read the guys that are way smarter than me, way smarter than most of the folks that I know, the guys that write the books that a lot of us struggle to read, that I struggle to read often about them. But what they talk about many times in this, they talk about the history first off of slavery. Did you know that probably about a third of the city of Ephesus 
would be called slaves back in that day and time when this was written. And that's because slavery was different. A lot of times it was the young men who had been captured in war and their families. It was people that had endure, indentured themselves to someone in order to gain a better standing, to have a job. Uh, it would be someone who would know that they would probably get out of slavery in the next 10 to 15 years after they worked their way back out of it, or possibly that they had been captured and at some point would be freed. In fact, around this time when Jesus was walking the earth here in this land back in that time, you would see that actually slavery was actually coming down a notch. Uh, many before had said, treat your slaves like your enemies. But by the point that Paul wrote this book to the church at Ephesus, uh, the slaves of Rome actually had rights. You could actually take your master to court if they weren't treating you fairly and justly. You could own property you had your own place to say sometimes, sometimes you lived in the quarters with the family that was your master, but other times you would have your own property, you could invest your money whatever way you wanted to. Uh, it was a lot different than what we talk about slavery. It doesn't mean it's right, it doesn't mean it's good, but it's different than the slavery we think about in the history of our country and many parts of the world that was racist or that was so brutal. And at times it was brutal for slaves. But what we see here is Paul is talking to family groups and in the home, you would have fathers and mothers, husbands and wives and daughters and sons. And then you would also have slaves or servants and you would have masters. And so he's continuing the process through that about what to do, where you are in your life when the gospel gets a hold of you and changes you. That's his purpose here. It's about how the gospel applies to us and changes us. We do know that later on, slavery just about goes out the window for most of the known civilization at that point in time because of Christianity's influence over that. Because when you read this and you see how it talks about acting towards one another, it lends itself to actually killing off slavery in and of itself in the way that the gospel affects it. But what you also notice is, is that the first part here that he talks to is not to the masters, which is what almost everybody else in the land that wrote a family code would do, is they'd talk to the master and ignore the slaves altogether. Instead, Paul addresses those who are slaves or servants with showing the ethic for which they should live, elevating them even in the letter in that way to a place that would have created a stir in the culture of that time. So it doesn't condone slavery. What it does is it tells people what to do if you're living in a relationship where you are a servant or slave, indentured slave, bond servant, or just a regular, what we would call slave, and what the master should do as well. And you may think, well, how does that apply to us today? You're making a big leap going from talking about that to talking about the gospel at work. But I want to argue that I don't think that I am. In fact, I think that the same type of work that many people indentured themselves for back then was to make a living because they could not do it otherwise. And they would work regular jobs. You wouldn't be able to tell who they were. They would take the same status in the state as the people that were over them. And so the culture was a lot of people, most of the working class would have been uh, at some point affected by or lived in a state of indentured servitude. And this is something we can understand. I don't know about you, but most of us can't quit our jobs today. We'd have to continue on in our jobs. We can't just stop unless you want to go live down by the river, right, in a van. But most of you don't want to do that. And so we have indentured ourselves to our employers. 
and there's certain things we have to do in order to maintain that relationship from our end. And there are certain things they do to make sure that we have what we need in order to continue on to serve their companies or their interests. And I don't think it's taken that big of a leap when it comes to talking about this applying to us today in the gospel at work. There's a lot of guys I could have quoted talking about this, a few ladies as well, but for the sake of time, I just hope you'll roll with me on this one at this point. If you want more, you can email me. I'll be glad to send you more information to point to that. Let me just say it like this. Timothy Keller, in one of his sermons talking about this passage, said it so well. I'm just going to quote him a few times today. He says, all work, I'm talking to the church because Paul's writing to the church, all work, every bit of work you do, every job that you will have as a believer is a calling from God. It is a calling from God. I believe that we have seen a great injustice done to the cause of, of the kingdom of Jesus, because somewhere down the line in our society, we have relegated things that are sacred to the times in which we gather together as the church on Sunday or into our homes in our private prayer closets, and we have separated them from the rest of our time in society, which is nowhere laid out in the Bible for us to do. And there's almost nothing we do more than work except maybe sleep in our lives. Working is what we do most in our adult lives per hour. And if the gospel is not impacting our work environments through us, then we are missing the cues in Scripture that all of life is meant to point us and everyone else to Jesus. And so today's sermon is not going to be super inspirational in some kind of great theological treatise, but it will be very practical. And I believe it is much needed, even in my own line of work. I can't tell you, though, how many people come to faith and feel excited and enthralled to be on the mission of God, and they believe that means they must go into the vocational ministry, to serving in a church somewhere, or to going on the mission field as an IMB missionary, or to go plant a church somewhere. But I'm here to tell you that we need people to stay exactly where they are, when they receive the gospel so that they can take the gospel to the people God has already planted them with. It is not more holy or sacred or more glorious to be a pastor or a staff member at a church or a church planter or a missionary abroad. It's not any more holy or sacred or exciting to do those things as it is to stay right where you've been planted by God in order to be the light of Christ in your current vocational setting. And it is no less worthy. In fact, Martin Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a lot of things that he said was important to start the revolution that happened with the Protestant Reformation. But one of the greatest of them that he referred to often was the fact that he had grown up hearing over and over again that if you are called by God, then you go into the work of the church. He was a monk, actually, when he became a believer. And he thought the Reformation, in part, should be about showing that we are all priesthood of the believers, that every single one of us is an intercessor for all those who do not yet know Jesus, and that we are there to unite people to God through Jesus, every one of us. 
That's exactly what God has blessed us with when he has called us to the job that we have now, even in our retirement. Don't check out, y'all, retired folks. Even in our retirement. The ultimate truth is, from this passage, we're going to break it all down, but the ultimate truth here is that we work ultimately for our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And that's easy to say and hard to work out, and so we're going to unpack what it looks like to do exactly that. But let us also remember that although I have titled this sermon not just the gospel at work, but working for Jesus, I want to make sure we understand this truth first and foremost, that our works don't save us. Jesus has saved us if we are his, not our works. Ephesians 2, earlier on, makes that clear, verse 8 through 10. I'm going to read that for us right now. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved not by works, but we are saved for works. You see that? And so we are saved through faith, which is a gift from the Lord and not of our own doing, but so that we can understand that God has done all the work necessary to bring us into the kingdom to save our souls. Yet we are called and we are regenerated and we are sanctified and we are led forward for the good works that he prepared for us beforehand, for the foundation of the world. So let's unpack this interestingly practical text. Look at it, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. What a unique statement. Put it in context a little bit for us. You could say like this, workers, employees, obey your earthly bosses, your masters, with fear and trembling. That seems weird, doesn't it? And he clarifies, not just fear and trembling, but with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So obey them in fear and trembling as you would Christ. What in the world does that even mean? If you go back and look at that verse I read at the beginning, chapter 5, verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence comes from the word phobos in the Greek, which is where we get the word phobia. So you know what it means? Fear. That's the word for fear. And that idea of fear in the scriptures when it refers to God is different than just being frightening. I think we have to put it in context. And I think Keller says it really well when he says it in this way. He says, in the Bible, the fear of God or the fear of Christ means, listen, surprising, joyful, astonished awe and wonder before him. I'm going to say it again. That fear of God or the fear of Christ means joyful, astonished awe and wonder before him. So fearing the Lord, being fearing and trembling for the Lord is to be in joyful. If you're in Christ, you know you've been covered in the blood of Jesus. You don't have anything to fear anymore in the sense of wrath. So you stand before him, fear and trembling in the state of awe and joy in the presence of God for what he has done for you because you see how great your sin is and how holy and righteous he is. Think of Isaiah when he sees God. He says, woe is me. I'm coming apart. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. 
That's how we stand and see ourselves before the Lord. So when he says this in this kind of context, look at it again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling as you would Christ. Fear and trembling. How would it change your witness at work if people could regularly see your joyful, astonished awe and wonder in Jesus? How would it change if you respected your boss the way that you respect Jesus standing before him in that fear and wonder and awe? I don't mean you worship him, but that you respected him in a similar way. How would it change the dynamics of your ability to talk about Jesus if you respected your boss to the utmost and you also reverently or in astonished awe stood before Jesus and reveled in his glory in front of others. We like to think about those in the book of Acts that they must have been special in chapter 2 because the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went outside and they spoke of the excellencies of Christ and 3,000 people came to faith in one day. Remember that? And the people thought they were drunk because it was like midday and they came out and they were speaking in other tongues. They were speaking other languages. People heard them in their own language and people thought that that was just crazy. And we think, wow, that would have been so awesome to be there. Man, I wish I could have that kind of power. Brothers and sisters, we have that exact power living within us in the Holy Spirit. There is nothing the Holy Spirit cannot do. He may not give you another language to speak because you don't need it in the context of your job most of the time. But He has given you the same Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And all we need to do is revel in the excellencies of Christ, to be in awe and wonder before Him in the presence of others. And it will change everything about how we work. The gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Hey, how would it change your conversations at work if you lived in that awe? If you stayed reveling in that? How would it change the things you talk about or the things that you laugh about or joke about? What about what you say about other coworkers or even your boss? How would it change those things? and help you to be a better shining example of the gospel. I think sometimes it's easy to go along with whatever's going on around us. We do so also to, to engender ourselves as someone, to become friends with them, to get closer to them. But you don't have to do those things to be friends with someone. You can still shine the awe and glory of God and become friends with people. You can still talk to them about normal everyday things and not get into things that would make the Lord ashamed if he were standing there? How would it change us if we stood and reveled in his presence? Sometimes it needs to start before we start, stop into work, before we step out into that environment. See, the gospel changes everything. And your job is a calling from God to glorify him every day in the presence of those with whom you work. Every day. Not to be a beatdown. Right? It's really not. Because here's the beautiful part of it. You're going to fail. And you know what the best way is to shine Jesus when you fail? Is to confess, ask forgiveness, and give God the glory. They don't have to forgive you. They don't have to look over it. But you can rest in the forgiveness of God even in the midst of it. Look at it again. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart 
as you would Christ. What does that mean to obey with a sincere heart? To work with sincerity. To work with what it means is a singleness of heart is a more literal translation. To work with a singleness of heart. Determined to glorify God with your work, with all of who you are. A totally devoted, single-minded focus. To be totally undivided. Focused on serving and doing well for the glory of God. Look what he says when he goes on. I'm going to repeat it again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. What does that mean to, to, to not by the way of eye service? You know what that is. It's when your boss looks over to see what you're doing and so you step it up a little bit. I was working a job in college. And uh, this is not the only time I've ever participated in that way, by the way. I'll just be confessional. But uh, in college, I was working a job. I had never, I'd come home from, for the first summer back at home. And um, when I was back here, I was working with a construction group. And uh, I was really trying to impress my boss. I wanted to get more hours. And so I was just, I was basically just a yard dog. I mean, I just did whatever they said to do, clean up this, move that. I think sometimes they just got me to move stuff just to watch me do it. You know what I mean? But I was just trying to hump it. When I got there, I was working hard and working fast and doing all this. And it didn't take even the first day. And on a break, one of the guys pulled me aside and was like, hey, man, you need to slow down a little bit. I was like, hey, I'll be all right. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to talk about you. <laughs> you need to slow down a little bit because the more, the more hard you work, the harder you work, the worse we look. And uh, we've got to come out here every day, and you're going to be gone, you know. But we're, we're, you'll be gone after the summer. we still got to work here. And uh, don't mess this up for us. Now, I've heard that story from a lot of other people, so it must not just be that it happened to me. But what I will tell you is it definitely occurred for me, and I realized in that moment that although I wanted to impress my boss and get more hours, I didn't want a bunch of other guys, really strong, outdoorsy guys, <laughs> to be unhappy with me. What I realized in that moment is that that's why for a lot of folks, when the boss comes around, we work a little harder. That may not be you. You may fit into a different category we'll talk about in a minute, but here's what this is saying right here. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Don't just do enough. Work harder when the boss is around. Don't just do those things. Do your job with a sincere heart, undivided in your devotion to serving God. You're doing that job for the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you have to run circles around everybody else, but what it means is you're going to do your best. You're going to do it to the nth degree that you can possibly do it, not just for your company or your boss or so that other people will be well served, but so that Jesus will be served. Do it like you're doing it for Jesus. And yes, you can cook a meal at home like you're cooking that meal for Jesus. You don't have to put out the fine china and dress in your best. He's with you always. But you can do whatever you do to the glory of God. I can fold clothes after the kids go to bed for the glory of God. Listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need in Philippians 4.11, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We use that verse in a lot of ways. What it's talking about here is that God will sustain us and so we can endure anything and be complacent and be happy and content with whatever situation we're in. You may say to me, you don't know the fool for whom I work. (laughs) Right? Don't say amen. If you work here, please don't say amen. I may not know the person you work for, but I know the fools for whom Jesus died. That's us. It's me. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. The one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve it. But God shined his grace upon us in the face of Jesus. And you may think someone doesn't deserve it. That's good because they're just like you and me. So let us shine the grace of God in the face of Jesus upon them every opportunity we can. Listen, we don't work to please people. We work to please the Lord. Our motives matter. Why we would do what we do matter. You can have done great things for wrong motives, and it's still wrong. That's why people can do all these great things around the world and it still be classified as sin because it wasn't for the glory of God. People can be great, nice people, but if they're not doing it for the king's honor and glory, then they are stealing his glory and it's sinful. That's how strong the severity of sin is in this world. That's why we need a savior like Jesus. So let us let the gospel of Jesus drive our work ethic. Let us work so that God is pleased and so that God is glorified. Now, look, you're never going to please him enough to earn your salvation, but you can bring joy to his heart as you spend your life out for his glory as Jesus gave his life up for yours, right? This is the way it works. It pleases the Lord when we work with hearts focused on doing everything for his glory. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Every single bit of it. Here's a little reminder. You work for a lot of reasons, right? Some of you work to pay the bills. Some of you work because you like to feel needed. Some of you work because it gives you value. Some of you work because it gives you whatever toys you like to have. None of those things are necessarily wrong. But I want to remind you that our ultimate reward for work must be our eternal reward. Look at with. Look at this with me, verse 8. I'm going to back up again and put it in context, 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. See how everything relates as you would do to Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants, there it is again, of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will, listen, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. 
So that last verse again, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now this is talking about when Jesus comes back and we stand at judgment. We know that because if you go back and you read Romans 2, verse 6, you'll see that it talks about that judgment. That we will be judged for our works. But we get the get-out-of-jail-free card because of Jesus. And those things that we do good, God will reward by throwing it into our crown that we will then take and cast at the feet of Jesus because he deserves the glory. We will receive reward being in the presence of God for the rest of eternity, unhindered by sin, worshiping him, enjoying him, gathered with the saints. That is our reward, being with God, enjoying God with friends, family who've come to know Jesus. So no matter how much we work for the money we need, let us work mostly for the glory of God and our eternal reward. Now we'll switch gears here. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You may think, why is there only one verse for the masters or the bosses? Well, it's because he covers in that one verse everything that was just covered and some more. Look at it again. Verse 9. Masters, do the same to them, (laughs) submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do the same thing I just told these guys to do. And then he goes on, and stop your threatening. Hey, if you're a boss, be a boss that serves others like Jesus has served you. I was convicted just in this in my parenting this week, last night, studying the Word more and more. We don't realize it sometimes how we use our power to try to gain influence. And just over my children, sometimes I can find myself threatening with things. Hey, if you don't do that, I'm going to take this away, right? And that's not necessarily wrong. It's like, it's not wrong to tell somebody if you don't stop doing something wrong, that something bad's going to happen. But be careful it doesn't lean into threatening. Bosses shouldn't use that to manipulate and coerce. And it's not wrong to tell people they've done something wrong and they need to change or there's going to be consequences, but it's not the same as the threatening we're looking at here. And he says, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, talking about God, is in heaven, and there, there is no partiality with him. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're the boss. It doesn't matter if you're the guy in charge, if you're the owner. There is no partiality. You don't have any extra status. It might be that in your life here, people overlook a few things because you're the one in charge, but God overlooks nothing. Nothing. So you should be reminded to serve your employees with fear and trembling as you would Christ. We are not better than anyone we employ. Serve your employees with that same sincere heart. Serve your employees for the glory of God. Pause for a second. Some of you go, I'm not a boss. Or if I am, I don't have really anybody under me that much or not a whole lot of folks and they're really easy to me. I don't do any of this stuff. How does this apply to me? How about this? You may think that we don't have various levels of social stratuses in our world, but we do. Even though we're a free nation, even though we're not like some countries and nations and areas of the world that have uh, different, like, you know, like India, it's called the caste system. Uh, we do have a 
different way that we interact with people. You know, like there's people that I used to work in the service industry. And so I was working tables and tending bar when I was coming up through college. And, and uh, it's different there in the economics of it and in the kind of the social stratus there than it is uh, working uh, at a bank. It's different there than working at a white-collar job. You know, it's different working construction than it is. It, we don't want to act like it is, but in our society, in our culture, it is a little bit different, and people look at other people differently. One uh, guy, I think it was R. Kent Hughes, as I was reading him, referred to it in a way of talking about just go into a hospital and watch the dynamics. You've got, like, the top doctors, he says, and then you've got the, the other doctors, and then you have the nurses, and then you have the, the, the next level of nurses, and then you have like housekeeping or and other employees all in between all that. And they interact differently with one another. Like the nurses may be very attentive to the doctors and other nurses and then walk by housekeeping and not even lift their face to say hello or to give them the time of day, right? Or it could be uh, any position and job that you have. We see people working the floor and people working the offices. There's all kinds of differences there. How many times have you treated someone not with sincerity of heart that was serving you at your table? How many times have we not spoken kindly to someone because they were in our way when they were working around us, but they weren't important for us in that moment? That's not the way of Jesus. Everybody we meet is worthy of our attention in the gospel and the love of Christ because everybody we meet potentially is going to be hopefully washed in the blood of Jesus. And everybody was worth it for God to send Jesus to come. You see, we don't like to think about it in those ways, but we talk to people, we don't talk to people, we snub our noses at people, or we just don't think it's worth our time or our effort. And all of us have somebody like that. They are worth our effort because they're worth Jesus' death. Now listen, it could end like that, and you'd think, wow, this is a real browbeater today. Let me bring you to some hope. Before I do, let me give you one more piece. If you're an overworker, how many overworkers we got in the room? Nobody wants to admit it, maybe. I'm, sometimes I'm an overworker. Anybody? Okay, a few of you. There you are. It's so funny how overachievers don't like to show that they're overachievers, you know? Some of us is overachievers. It's a struggle for us because we overwork. Listen, your career will not die for you. Jesus did, though. So don't give your life to your career, but use your life for the glory of God in your career. You can never work hard enough to improve your status if, if you've been declared righteous in the eyes of God because of the cross of Christ. You cannot. So don't overwork to attain the status you need to get to. You've already been declared sons and daughters of the king. Make sure that you don't overwork for the wrong reasons. Sure, you're going to have to work hard some, but don't overwork it. And you can never find more joy in your stuff that you get to buy when you overwork than you can find in Jesus if you've been bought with his blood because I promise you that those things will not make it with you, but Jesus will be with you forever if you're in Christ. And if you're trying to find your value in your job, 
We don't like to admit that. If you're trying to find your value in your job, I say it like this, if you're trying to find your value in how well your employees like you or in how well you take care of your employees, if you're trying to find your value in how well your boss likes you, if you're trying to find value in how, how much your family thinks of you for the great job that you do for them, if you're trying to find your value in all the ways that you serve others because they need to be served, it just makes you feel good to do that. If you don't do it, you feel empty or you feel like you're not fulfilling something you're meant to fulfill. If any of those things are happening, then you don't realize in that moment the value you have in Jesus, and he is enough, brothers and sisters. He is enough. He is enough. He is worth it. So let us repent and find our joy in Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. What would it look like? Last thing. What would it look like if you just went today and you went before the Lord and you asked God to just open your eyes to the opportunities to make much of him in the presence of your coworkers this week. I guarantee you he's already putting you in spots to do that. Just ask him to open your eyes to see how and to make you bold enough by his spirit to do it when the time happens. How would it change the lives of those people? How would it change your life? How would it give more glory to the Lord? That's what I want you to go home thinking about. That's your homework assignment today. I'm going to pray for us. And when I do, we're going to sing this song. We'll have one brief announcement afterwards, so stick around. But uh, let, us, let us pray together right now. Father, you really are worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of us doing a job the best we can. You're worthy of us serving our bosses, our employers, as well as we can. You're worthy of us not indulging in things that would be shameful for your son Jesus to be present for those things. Lord, you are worthy of us giving our lives for your glory and your kingdom. So Lord, help us, please. We see now, according to your word, that we should serve in our vocations in such a way that you get all the glory and that we serve our bosses, our employers, the way that we would serve you and that we should serve one another if we have those unrest in employment we should serve them in the way that you have served us so lord we ask for your help for we are weak and we are broken but you are good and gracious and kind and your mercies are new every morning so help us lord by bringing us under conviction and strengthening us to do what is right and help us to follow along your path for your glory and for the salvation of souls lord let us see life change where we work so that we can make much of you and celebrate you together. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.